This is the Scuttlebutt Podcast. This is a podcast for probably dudes who have a mild interest in history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not true. Half of our listeners are female friends who I've duped into listening oh, to this. Nice. Hello, um, ladies. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> for dudes and ladies. Hello to all the ladies out there tonight. Uh, Mike's oof, feel the energy. Um, it's thick. So this is the podcast for people who are mildly interested in military history. There's like too much history, but I feel like that's what we're going to talk a lot about is like military history. And then we're going to sprinkle in some technology, sprinkle in maybe some video games, some jokes, some jokes, definitely some jokes. This is a hilarious podcast. Big time joke guys over here. Huge guys, huge huge joke guys. guys. Well, huge guys are both very fat. Huge guys, very large. It's not taking care of ourselves. I had fried chicken and Napoleons for dinner tonight and the goddamn flu. Yeah. So Grace being, so, you know, last night I had to cook my own dinner and, uh, how inconsiderate it is like, even I get it. You're sick. Okay. But I still have to eat. Right. What? Do I boil the whole can of shit boy or do I take it out first? I've realized like the extent of my cooking skills is pretty much limited to barbecuing. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. pretty much where I draw the line or like anything that can be boiled. Um, good at pasta, huge pasta guy. And then, uh, so last night we have an air fryer. So I air fried some, some of the kids chicken nugs, How'd that work some out? French fries, some nubs yeah. really well. I mean, you can't really screw that up. You just have yeah. to heat it up. They're already cooked. Like a whole and then TGI. I made an egg sandwich and I do make a baller egg sandwich. That was yeah, very good. You. A little garlic in there. You got to mix cut up in some fresh garlic. I believe you. It's true. I did it. <laughs> I have, sounds like a I think TGI I took a Friday's appetizer sampler. It platter. does. It doesn't, nothing of it made sense. I sent a picture to Grace and while she was in the hospital, she was like, you're a 10 year old. I'm not coming home. It's like, you're not wrong. <laughs> She's like, I hope this disease takes me. <laughs> oh, um, gross. All right. So where were we? We had our, why should somebody listen to this podcast? Because we're desperate. We are. Please, lonely. for the love of God. What we're trying to do here is make up for all of the uh, validation that we never received as children. Right. And yep. as you know, 30 something year old guys were very vulnerable yeah. and uh, angry. Yes. Like just, I've got rage really, in me. Really angry. Yeah. And uh, so you need to listen uh, so that we feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Cause you know, we don't really have a whole lot going on yep. and this is, we've kind of invested everything in this. So if this doesn't work out, I don't know, man, I bought a family size bucket of fried chicken. I ate half of it. If, I'm going to eat the rest of it if we don't get two listeners by the end of this podcast. Before it. it's done. Before it's done. <laughs> I'd like to thank everyone on the stream. Yeah. The live. Twitch. Well, yeah, Twitchers. Twitching. We, should, we could Twitch it. Um, so you're horribly ill right now. Mm-hmm. Are you, uh, you paying attention to this uh, coronavirus? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds... Um, I don't really understand the severity of it. Um, I, don't, I don't understand the scale of it because I don't have any to reference it with you know what i mean yeah i mean uh the sort of closest analog to this would be the uh sars virus or mers yeah. virus yeah. and those burned out relatively quickly so yeah. it spread a lot faster it's killing a lot less uh i think i just saw that there was about a thousand people who have died from it and there's like three thousand severe cases and this is pretty much everything is in china right right now um and then there's so there's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are got it. Most of it's in China. It hasn't yeah. really spread outside of China. Um, it's like if you're not 
immunocompromised and you don't have like, you know, you're not sensitive to pneumonia. Right. Probably okay. And there's some evidence that it, like people are getting it, they're asymptomatic and just doesn't do anything. The vast majority of people, it's going to be like a flu, probably similar to what you're going through right now. And then that's it. Um, Question that comes into play is if you, you know, I guess if like the question is like how long your immunity will last afterwards. So Mm, uh, if you get sick with it now, like there's, I mean, we don't have any, like this has only been around for a little while. So we don't really, we can't really compare it to anything. SARS is the closest. And basically like, I think with that, there's an immunity of like a couple of years after you get it. Hmm. So you could get booster vaccines and um, the other issues, there's no vaccine right now. And actually you don't really develop vaccines for coronaviruses usually. Um, is a coronavirus they, a type of virus? Where's the word? Yeah, cor- it's a type of virus. Okay. Um, and it's usually like, it's like a respiratory virus and there's, uh, they usually are in animals, I guess. And yeah. You know, it mutates all the time and it just has to mutate in the right way that it then affects human. And, and to be fair, this one is, so everyone's calling like the Wuhan virus or like Chinese coronavirus and all this other stuff. It's actually officially called COVID-19. Yeah. And they're being very specific with that because of racist assholes who are using this as a reason to harass uh, pretty much anyone who's Asian. And uh, specifically, like if you're from China, it's like, Good luck. Bad. Yeah. Which is like, it's not like a terrorist attack or something like you can't help being sick from this. And um, it is interesting. You have, uh, I think the best thing to come out of this so far is the QAnon crowd drinking bleach. I think. Oh, it's QAnon. I haven't. So I deleted my Twitter. Oh, nice. Maybe a year ago. And I've since then not followed QAnon. Oh, you're following a lot of QAnon when you're on the Twitter. Big time QAnon guy. Yeah. That's all I really paid attention to were conspiracy <laughs> theorists. So they, yeah, I mean, they're drinking they still bleach. going strong. Yeah. No, Why? they're still going strong. I mean, they were till they all fucking died from drinking bleach, but yeah, it's going to be a problem. Just let that sort of sort itself out. You know, there's a lot of people be telling, you know, don't drink the bleach. It's not going to help. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> let them figure it out. Um, it just to disinfect their mouths or like what the, I, I literally have no idea. There's zero science there's no like this is that's not been something you've done for any other disease um drink bleach just drink really? the bleach but <laughs> um but as you're aware because it looks like and sounds like you have the flu the flu's everywhere right now so yeah that's much much worse yeah this light is not helping me yeah i <laughs> for those who are listeners who aren't on the stream uh feel great Mike is looking horrifying right now there's a sort of a light that you'd find in an old detective movie uh and it looks like the coronavirus has uh evolved Turned into a, a zombie apocalypse i think that's what's next i think it's going to evolve into a zombie apocalypse i think a lot of these things are covers for zombie outbreaks i'm just saying it's a flu and that's why they have this big this quarant- they're quarantining cities and all this kind of stuff yeah we I don't know what's going on in there could be really know. 28 days later going on it's actually probably yeah. been about 28 days since it like yeah. really hit national news. Yep, absolutely. Do you have a plan for zombies? I, you know, I, I'd spent a lot of time planning that when I was younger. And I think I, I think getting on the ocean on a boat is probably your safest option and just kind of skip along the coast. Like in a, like just you by yourself? A sailboat. Uh, well, maybe, you know, three or four people, depending on the size of the boat, you need a few people because you can't, you have to, boat's a 24 hour operation. So you have to. Yeah. Plus you want to like have a couple people to eat if you need to. Security. Oh yeah. yeah. Security. <laughs> plus you somebody to watch your back. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You can't be awake 24 hours a day. Yeah. Have you, have you, uh, like, do you know, like think of the, or know of like, I don't know what you want to call it. Have you heard of like survivalists? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. The people who like stockpile yep. this stuff. Yep. It's literally the dumbest thing you can do. Cause I yeah. can tell you right now, like first off, these people can't shut up about the fact that they're stockpiling for a disaster, right. but they've got yeah. all the food, all the water, yeah. like yeah. weapons, caches, Yep. And his uh, literally humans have evolved to be communities and collaborate. Yeah. Like you can't do everything. Yeah. You're not an expert right. at anything. So you, what yep. you have is one person probably has a lot of guns, yeah. but they're probably mediocre at best at everything. Right. So what you're going to do is you're going to wait. The emergency is going to happen. And this loudmouth, you know, weirdo in camouflage who's got all these stockpiles of stuff. I'm just going to gather up my posse and I'm going to go take all that stuff yep. because one person exactly. cannot yeah, defend my, against yeah. like 20 people. That's my... Uh, Apocalypse plan too is just to make armor out of oh, yeah. tires, put a football helmet, like no mask, suit, spikes like in it, cool... get on a motorcycle, yeah, and just go fuck I, people the up. Mad Max scenario just to me is the best. Just building cars that yeah. have knives and stuff that come out of them and fire. Yeah, way to do it. Not yeah, stack which by the way, like everyone food. thinks that this food lasts forever. It doesn't. You get a little bit of moisture in there. It tastes like garbage for one. Anyone who's been in the military knows that, like, yeah. there's one good MRE. What's your favorite MRE? Jeez, yeah. uh, I haven't had an MRE in a while. I feel like it's the, the, chili, Probably, the chili mac um, and cheese. Yeah, chili cheese mac, chili cheese oh, mac, yeah. or there's the vegetarian tortellini. Yeah, they have pizzas. I haven't had Fucking the pizza finally. yet. I've been saying it's that for probably disgusting, years. though. I bet it's the same cracker that you get that if you don't get, you know, it's probably literally peanut butter that, you know, they just yeah. it has turned red for some, like, some chemical reaction occurred. <laughs> I can't still to this day cannot eat wheat bread snacks. So there's just no, some disgusting turning point in my mouth where I was just like, no, I don't want that in there anymore. There's nothing more exciting though than you get the Skittles. I mean, they're yeah. rock hard. Yeah. But that Skittle will last yeah. a solid month. It's a game changer. Because it's so stale that it has yeah. hardened into glass. <laughs> I've always read too, uh, I remember took a class up there at school about disasters and they Kept saying that like in a disaster, generally people, it's like the, everyone thinks that everyone turns into the savage. Yeah. But it's kind of the opposite. Like if you, people form these strong communities spontaneously. Yeah. I mean, you're just general, like Maslow's hierarchy, you know, pretty much requires that you've got people to help you meet all those needs or you're meeting other needs. And then of course, like there's economy of scale, there's specialization, you know, like I would hope, I, like, I feel like I'm pretty set. I'm an okay shot. I've got some medical experience. Mm -hmm. I sort like I know how to hunt. I've never successfully killed anything. Yeah. It's actually like the only thing that's sort like even with like with everything that's going on, I'm sort of like, you know, if it really, really goes south, like even shit bags kind of turn to help people. So I feel like maybe things will be okay. Yeah. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe we've reached know. a point now where the next time it happens, we're just all gonna kill each other and die. But yeah, no, typically uh, in disasters, uh, not even typically, almost like unequivocal evidence that people will uh, help each other out, which is yeah, good. That's a good term. thing. Yeah, it's a very good thing. Um, did you want to talk about uh, grenades? or? What? Yeah, well, I got a 40 millimeter grenade. I did a presentation uh, for work a while ago, so I got a PowerPoint a per point. So this first question, uh, what's a millimeter? So I had a student the other day who was like, she was like, hey, uh, I need a new ruler because this ruler just has centimeters on it. I don't have any, mil there's no millimeters on here. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Like, okay, yeah. Can someone, yeah. Can someone get, get the, this guy. get the millimeter, get millimeter the proper equipment for this guy. Jesus. I apologize for this. Yeah. This is embarrassing. So uh, yeah, that's what it is. It's, 
hundredth of or tenth of a centimeter. That's great. <laughs> you idiot. Yeah. Right, thank you. And that is forty millimeter. Thank you 40, for that. Uh, and, and that's what it. And you put forty of them in a row, and a grenade appears. Oh, yeah, all in a row. That makes sense. Yep. Count them up. <laughs> 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 40 millimeters. One, two. All right. So, so 40 millimeter. What is the, why, why 40 millimeter? Well, or is this well, too early of a question? It's too early. Yeah. Let me, um, let me kind of get started. I think I'll do. So the, pur- what, the purpose of this is to kind of understand the development and the origin of the 40 millimeter grenade launcher. A 40 millimeter grenade and all the different 40 millimeter grenade launchers, which is one of the more, I guess, Ubiquitous isn't quite the right word, but um, at least in the U.S. military, right? I mean, there's yeah. is there there's standard sizes elsewhere. I would imagine there are. Yeah, the, the Soviets have a 40 millimeter grenade launcher too, and um, basically everybody makes a version of this for anybody that uses NATO weapons uses and makes a version of these 40 millimeter grenades. So they're iconic, I guess, is maybe a word for sure, mo- yeah. modern militaries. Yeah. Uh, so the production started, or the design history kind of started in the early 1950s, right after World War II. And um, when the army began studying the effectiveness of, of frag patterns for grenades and rifle grenades, um, and kind of found that all of their grenades that they had in their inventory were insufficient. They didn't work the way they wanted to. Uh, and they used to, la- I mean, like a grenade, a launched grenade at that point was basically M1 Grand, and there was a thing they'd stick in the barrel yeah. and some sort of like squib load or something that would, you know, like a blank that fires it off. And- exactly. Yeah. It would be an adapter that goes over a normal rifle barrel. You put the grenade on an adapter and you either shoot a blank or an actual bullet into it and would send that. Uh, downrange and you would just use a reg- adapter for a regular hand grenade for the most part and that was unreliable or there was just they wanted something well, better they, or more specific so they um what happened was they took they realized with their grenades with their hand grenades that they're adapting to rifle grenades that they produced uh insufficient frag patterns so they when they broke apart their cast iron and when the explosion went off inside of them and they broke apart they broke apart in a really small number of really heavy pieces of frag so it didn't create a um, this cloud of frag uh, that would kill everybody in a, th- in, a, in a circle. It would just create very small pieces of frag that were aerodynamic and heavy, so they went really far. So if you threw a grenade at somebody 50 meters away, or three, a group of three or four people, two of them would survive, and some of the frag would come back and, and hit you. So it wasn't really... When you say 50 <laughs> meters, uh, meters are... <laughs> for the Americans. A million millimeters, I think, right? Oh, or 100,000? Okay. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Sure, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so... They realized that the the, the f- methods of producing frag were insufficient for the grenades, so they needed whole new grenades. And I th- they said, ideally, f- uh, frag would be really light and numerous and, and non-aerodynamic. So this organization called Picatinny Arsenal up in New Jersey determined that the ideal size for a rifle grenade was 40 millimeters because it contained both the right amount of frag, the right amount of explosives, and um, <clears throat> could travel the, the appropriate range. Uh, and that was... F- folded into a program. So basically they, they decided this is all, they made this new grenade. It needs to be 40 millimeters. And they pr- created this project called project Niblick, uh, to Very develop awesome name to develop this grenade. And Niblick, I guess is a type of golf club, tiny alien. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Licking for licks nips. <laughs> Nibblicker. <laughs> Nibblicker. Yeah. That was the uh, nickname for the uh, chief engineer. Old no Nibblicker. Nibblicker. Come on, you dude. Stay yeah, this away guy. From, stay away from that guy. guy. Yeah, it's stay a different away from that guy. So Nibblicker? Nibblick? Nibblick. Yeah, Project Nibblick. So uh, Nibblick, I guess, is a type of um, golf club that sends like a big arcing shot. I don't know. 
Yeah, it was a very, uh, they look, uh, I'm looking at them right now. They did not, they had no standard shape or form. The Niblick? <laughs> Classic. That's what it said. Yeah, I guess they were, oh, this is, it's uh, so Niblick or Rut Niblick. It was a pitching iron and generally the most lofted of the 19th century irons with a small round head and loft equivalent to a modern nine iron. So I'm guessing it probably has something to do with the loft. Yeah. So it would launch a grenade at a, in a high lofting trajectory. So instead of there like a go. straight line, it would shoot in a big arc. Yeah. Um, and just like a niblick knock hits a classic niblick <laughs> as we all know i mean we don't need to bore the audience no they all know they they mean the word niblick the history of niblick golf clubs has been yeah stated so many times at this well point. trodden territory uh so anyway project niblick they developed a fuse the projectile a cartridge and uh they're working on a gun too so in terms of frag production first they wanted to make use ball bearings so they wanted basically two metal walls and in between those walls would be ball bearings and they realized that if they needed in order to make the number of 40 millimeter grenades that they needed to produce they would have to buy like four times the number of ball bearings that existed on earth of that size so they're like well ball bearings are out guys yeah (laughs) ball bearings are too hard uh then they came with this method called coin rolling where they take a piece of metal i'm not an expert here but they take a piece of metal and they etch it roll like coins yeah yeah they etch it and then they, when they fold it over, it creates this frag pattern on the inside. And then they finally ended up with this wire frame method where they take like wire mesh and press it into metal. And that creates um, the frag pattern. Oh, for just small from the, pieces the of blast none. just is going out like the weaker right. parts of it. Yeah. yeah. For making um, small pieces of non-aerodynamic frag. They won't go very far, but produce this big cloud in a, in a small area. So the really the tricky part here, and this is the, in my mind, the interesting part is the means of the cartridge. So... On a piece of ordnance of this type, you have the fuse, which is the thing, a small component that causes the ordnance item to go off. You have the projectile, which is the thing that actually travels downrange. And then the cartridge, which is like on a gun, the copper cartridge, uh, the brass cartridge, right? That contains a powder that pushes pushes it out of the gun, right? Yeah. So you can imagine a 40 millimeter grenade would be very heavy and would produce a huge amount of recoil if you fired it out of a traditional cartridge. You probably couldn't shoot it off your shoulder. So would break no, I've shot. I think the biggest, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I guess slugs, 12, uh, uh, 12 gauge yeah. slugs. I think I've shot a 10 gauge slug. It, you know, sucks. 40 millimeter would be uh, like 10 in a row. Like, yeah, yeah that's and nuts. Break your shoulder. So it wasn't really an option to have just a full powdered cartridge uh, shooting this thing down range. So they, they worked on uh, spring fired. So it would just this cocked spring you pull back and releases it. And the British actually have an anti tank. Or had an anti-tank gun that was spring-fired called a Piat. That's cool. Yeah, way back in the day. I guess it was a huge pain in the ass to cock. And if you didn't cock it down all the way and it came up, it would just like smack you, you in just the face. Blow up in your face. Okay, yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Real pain in the ass to Kind of stealthy, use. though, probably, right? You know, uh, the Quiet, yeah. If you're shooting at fucking the... tanks, though, they can't hear you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah. But there's no back, there's no backblast or anything, right? Which yeah. is so. Anyway, so they'd spring-fire. They wanted to fire blanks. Um, and they came up with this... They found a system that the Nazis invented called a high-low pressure system. And the Nazis invented this for um, mountain artillery. So on a piece of artillery, you're firing a really heavy projectile, like that weighs 20 pounds or so, uh, with a huge cartridge. And that means you need to have the the base of that ordnance, that gun needs to be really heavy. It has to have a big recoil system on it. There's huge pressure, so you need a big, heavy barrel. And the bigger the round, it just makes the gun very heavy very quickly. So they... Wanted to find ways to lighten the system by making the base lighter, thinner barrels, and smaller um, recoil systems. So what they did is they took, uh, this is kind of hard to do without visuals, I guess, but 
they took look if you imagine the entire cartridge and at the bottom of it is just a like a mini cartridge within a cartridge okay so when the when the gun goes off or when the firing pin hits the um, primer it uh ignites the propellant that's inside that internal cartridge and there's these pre-drilled holes in that internal cartridge that fail at a certain pressure oh interesting so, so it hits that it builds extremely high pressure in that internal cartridge and then vents it out of those holes pre-drilled holes into the larger cartridge and uh produces uh less recoil obviously you're getting less pressure inside the barrel so the round's right. not going as far uh, but you can still push around a really far distance because you're getting extremely high pressures that are venting okay so it's almost like a turbo or something like it's venting it into like a uh a smaller area so high volume of gas or high volume of pressure but low let's see high pressure low volume right wouldn't that be something along the lines yeah, like you're high so you ba- you basically get this uh container that produces extremely high pressures there's this little by directing vent, the gases vent, well no no it's just because it's um you have a little oh, okay. bit of powder inside okay. a very small container mm. produces really high pressure inside of those pre-drilled uh failure points inside that container that when they fail all that extremely high pressure vents out and in, into the larger cartridge and just sort of instead of like slapping the projectile just kind of gently shoves it out of the barrel uh, which reduce, reduces recoil, uh, which means you need a, a light. You can have a lighter barrel and um, no recoil system or lighter recoil system or artillery. So I'll put a link into the uh, show notes so people can see how this works because it actually is really cool. Yeah, that might be the better way to get it. It's sort of complicated. You found a picture of it? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. So the actual, yeah. So the so there's like a giant, so there is a low pressure chamber and then it gets looks like uh, it feeds into the high pressure area and that's where everything sort of gets directed out. That's pretty yep. cool. All right. Yep. So instead I of, I believe you. Yeah. Uh, that's why you shoot a M203. There's not a lot of, there's almost no recoil. Yeah. You, know, you can shoot those things all day. You can shoot them off your forehead if you wanted to. I do. Usually. Yeah. That's my <laughs> technique. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of the big innovation for uh, the, this for project Niblick was that propulsion system with the, uh, high low pressure system adapt that to a grenade so simultaneous to this so the army said or the military said your grenades suck they don't make the right amount of frag we need some sort of project to work on better rifle grenades um and the project Nivlik said we'll do that in the in the 50s you also had this uh there's a couple reports called the hall and hitchman reports which were similar to the uh, studies on the grenades but they focused primarily on rifles and at the time world war ii the m1 grand shooting the 30 caliber ammunition was the the main battle rifle so they're analyzing the effectiveness of the m1 grand and they determined uh inefficiency of full-size rifle ammunition so um obviously they had mid-size what we call full sizes like your 30 count 30 out six 308s 762 right. that kind of stuff and then you have pistol ammunition which is usually like 45 and below looks very different right and then in between there you have what are usually called mid-sized rifle ammunition so um 556 203 that kind of stuff or 223 um so back in the day everybody wanted full-size rifle ammunition because they had this vision of infantrymen as basically being like a sniper that would sit down and take well-aimed shots at extremely long range and they unless there's also this false belief in um terminal ballistics that a larger bullet just produced uh, bigger wounds, which is not the case uh, in, in those ranges. Not really the case. Yeah, no, it's so, pretty much just punching right through you. Yeah, exactly. So the Hall and Hitchman reports, I'm just going to read it real quick and we sure. can edit yeah, it down because it. it's just a, a couple of paragraphs. So 
Here, here's a, a couple of paragraphs on the Hall and Hinchman reports. So the theoretical consideration of a family of rifles indicates that smaller caliber rifles than the 30 caliber have a greater single shot kill probability than the caliber 30 M1 Garand. This is obtained by increasing the muzzle velocity and thereby obtaining a flatter trajectory so that the adverse effect of range estimation errors is reduced. So because the uh, they're looking at a 21 caliber round, you know, we're more familiar with the 223 caliber. Right. Roughly the same, right? But because the round is going much faster, it has, it's going away flatter trajectory. You don't have to compensate. You, don't have, you have much smaller holdovers, so it's easier right. to hit a target. Pretty much, you're pointing out to some range. Your point fire is much more accurate. You don't yep. have to account for your velocity drops. Drop. Yep, or the uh, the drop in or the bullet over time. Yes. Yep. So uh, we'll keep going. When the when the combined weight of gun and ammunition is held constant at 15 pounds, the overall expected number of kills for that caliber 21 rifle is approximately two and a half times that of the present standard caliber 30 rifle. If the number of rounds is fixed at 96, the total load carried by a soldier with a caliber 21 rifle and ammunition with a six-tenths the charge of the M2 cartridge will be 3.6 pounds less than that carried by a soldier with a caliber 30 rifle. This is a 25% reduction load. So you're saying if you if every infantryman carries 15 pounds of ammunition, uh, if you're carrying 21 caliber rifle ammunition, you can carry uh, far more than if you're carrying yeah. 30. So then now you can shoot more people, right? Cause you got more ammunition. So not only is it easier to fire, yes. but you could have, you can have a higher volume of fire too. Sure. All right. Furthermore, if it was necessary for a soldier with the M1 to carry the rounds required for the same expected number of kills at 500 yards as a soldier with 15 pounds of caliber 21 six tenths charge rifle and ammunition, it would be necessary for him to carry 10 pounds more ammunition or a total of 25 pounds. So they also calculated how many rounds the average infantryman had to fire in order to get one kill um, with 30 cal and with 21 caliber. And they determined that it was much lower the 21 caliber rifle. They had to fire fewer rounds. Um, so in order to get that same number of kills with a 30 caliber gun, you'd have to carry far more ammo, basically 10 pounds more ammo. Have you read uh, On Killing by uh, Colonel um, Many years Grossman? ago. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I, that's interesting about this that I don't know if they calculated for was the fact that like pre-Vietnam, the military sort of didn't really train you the same sort of like warrior ethos that they do now. Yeah. Um, and that basically they found that, I mean, his his studies were pretty flawed. He had some serious confirmation bias that he was, you know, yeah. he had a point that he was trying to make. But yeah. that in World War II, actually, most people were not trying to shoot the other guy <laughs> like right, yeah. uh you know like these were people who were basically plucked off the street uh got some very basic training and were immediately sent to war and yeah. so short of like you really feeling like you're gonna die uh they were trying to you know ping rocks around people and stuff so this is it's kind of interesting yeah. i wonder what, how they the data that they use to sort of calculate all this and yeah. I imagine this changed tactics entirely. Like if you're carrying more ammo, you've got more opportunity to do cover fire and everything else. That's correct. Yep. So you get a higher volume of fire. So they actually ended up making some, this Holland Hitchman reports ended up making some recommendations on what the new battle rifles should be. And this is what, this is here, the recommendation. So either a simultaneous salvo or a high cyclic rate burst with the number of rounds per burst automatically set rather than dependent upon trigger release. In the salvo, the scatter would be obtained and controlled by multiple barrels, a mother-daughter type of projectile or projection of missiles in the manner of a shotgun. So they, what they wanted was small caliber rifles that were either with either burst fire or essentially shotgun. That was their reckoning. Every infantryman would get that with a magazine-fed grenade launcher 
attached. <laughs> Sounds awesome. So everyone's going to get a shotgun that shoots little um, bullets, flechettes, and a flechettes. grenade launcher. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so essentially high rate of fire, small caliber, select fire rifles when they wanted with an attached magazine fed grenade launcher. And they wanted all the way less than 10 pounds. And that was the didn't requirements. Happen, this Well, they made, they made a bunch of them, actually. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, so this is a project called Project Salvo. And it up. led eventually into what's called the Special Purpose Individual Weapon, or SPEW program, um, which is definitely worth a Google. Uh, Springfield, Colton, and AAI began development of uh, weapons matching Project oh, Salvo's SPEW recommendations. That looks freaking awesome. Yeah, so they developed flechette rounds, duplex rounds. And then they started working on grenade launchers too. So the question is, why are we talking about spew program weapons if we're talking about 40 millimeter grenades? And there was quite was a bit- I just of, about to ask. Yes, great, great question. So there was Thank you. bleed over between Salvo and Niblick. So Niblick developed the grenade while Salvo developed the need for a man portable grenade launcher. Uh, so the spew program provided the money and engineers and eventually the, the folks working on the Fort Springfield uh, or sorry, folks working on the 40 millimeter grenade were like, oh, hey, you guys working on a grenade launcher? And they're like, yeah, you working on a grenade? Yup, match made in heaven. And then they, they started developing- yes, happily ever after. Under barrel and standalone grenade launchers uh, that would fire the 40 millimeter grenade. Cause you can imagine the guys making the guns are looking for grenades, right? They're like, right. well, what are we gonna shoot out of this thing? We have the concept, but we don't know what to fire. They go looking around and they find Project Niblick and it's kind of a match made in heaven. So originally they wanted magazine fed under barrel grenade launchers, but they just didn't have the technology for that at the time. Too heavy. Uh, it was difficult to develop a, a reliable feed mechanism. And this spring thing would have weighed a freaking ton too, right? I mean, you, you got at, yeah. uh, the one that this this spew that's uh, a bullpup with uh, uh, yeah. the huge grenade launcher on the, the front bayonet. and a massive sixty round box magazine in the you know uh, yeah. rear of the action in yeah. the um, yeah. Yeah, it's some bizarre, very, very bizarre. Uh, yeah, it's cool looking. It guns. looks like some sort of uh, futuristic weapon. Yeah, I know it does look very kind of steampunky. So eventually Springfield was like, listen, this underbarrel thing just not working out. We've got this standalone 40 millimeter grenade launcher I think you guys are gonna like. And the first one was called a T-148 Echo 1 was the designation for it. And it, it was also uh, basically magazine fed, had like this harmonica style, uh, magazine that lift fitted on the side and would and would get pulled through uh so it didn't feed from the bottom it fit from the side and eventually that had a high rate of fire of failure not super popular mud would get in it uh, when they feel it in vermont in uh, vermont in vietnam not super popular so eventually they came up with the m79 uh oh the other the, the other, another downside of the t148 echo one is you could only have rounds of certain lengths in there because of the magazine right oh yeah so every round had to be the same length so eventually Springfield said, well, we have this single action breakaway grenade launcher, um, kind of like a breakaway shotgun, like a double action shotgun, with just one barrel called the M79. And we'll give this, sell this to the military. And the, the advantage thumper. of that, the thumper, exactly. The advantage of that is it can fire a variety of different length grenades because there's no magazine, no feed mechanism. You can just put whatever length grenade you want in there. So that gave a huge amount of flexibility for what these things could actually fire, which was a distinct advantage. Which is pretty good because that was a, over the course of like really three years, they invented a new weapon, yep. a new ammo, yep. and it was robust enough that it didn't change for almost. I mean, it's. Oh. I mean, we we still essentially use same ammunition. Yeah, same ammunition, and the weapon hasn't really changed all that much. That's other than instead changes. of break action, now it's pump action. Or I guess it's not really it's pump slides, action. Yeah, but slides forward. 
Yep. Yeah. Has stayed roughly the same over all the, all the years. So, um, when they fielded this thing, they basically took an infantry squad. They took a rifle away from one infantryman and gave him a grenade launcher M79 with a pistol. Uh, the disadvantage of this was that you lost, you know, a rifle. This guy couldn't, unless he was shooting grenades at somebody, he was basically worthless. Yeah. Um, so over time, the army and the military said, cause there's any way we can give this guy a grenade launcher and a rifle. So can we figure out this underbarrel thing? Uh, and Colt for Firearms developed something called the XM-148, which is one of the first fielded underbarrel 40 millimeter grenade launchers. Uh, but I think just looking at the thing, I think the big design flaws, they wanted the trigger to be side by side with the trigger on the rifle. Oh God. Right. So you have this big long trigger sticking back, which increased the risk of negligent discharge, which I guess was sure, a significant yeah. problem. Um, it was really hard to clean. It got dirty. Had a huge number of, of working parts. Was hard to take apart in the field. Had all these little springs and screws that you could lose and would fall out. Um, so eventually, this company called AAI developed the M203 in 1969, which is as simple as a grenade launcher can be. Aluminum tube that slides forward. Put the grenade in. Pull it back. And when you pull it back, it cocks the mechanism. Uh, has a really simple safety on it, and you pull the trigger, fires grenade, and then you um, pull the tube forward again to expel the car the cartridge and reload it. So it's really amazingly simple weapon, hard to improve upon. Still being used. Still being used, and the grenades, um, because you can use multiple, any length grenade in there, as long as it's 40 millimeters, uh, gives a huge amount of flexibility and design on the actual projectile. So you can shoot high explosives out of there, you can shoot anti-tank rounds, you can shoot smoke. Uh, less than lethal rounds. You can shoot um, flares. You know, if you name it, you can you can shoot it as long as it fits in the barrel. You can shoot it out of the gun. And how far do these things go out? I mean, they're effective. You know, I, I don't know the effective max effective range in the two or three. Yeah. So it looks like maximum firing range. I mean, this would now say effective firing range is three hundred and fifty mm. meters. Yeah. Which that's pretty far out because essentially these things you're you're really trying to you know uh, walk it in because. Mm -hmm. You're, it's a fairly uh, simple aiming mechanism. Yep. There's you get pretty good with them. You definitely put them through windows and stuff if you get a little bit of practice. 350 yards. That's, or 350 meters. That's pretty good. So that's, uh, oh, that's a uh, fire team size target. Yep. And then your point target is 150 meters. Yep. Sounds about right. And uh, yeah, it takes a little bit of practice and you get pretty good with these things. They're not, not too, terribly difficult to learn to shoot either. Very satisfying. It does look fun. They don't let me shoot this. No. I have no I, use I for it. I love the delay between you pull the trigger, it goes doom, and then there's a nice pause, and then because it's so slow, because of the, oh, yeah, the yeah. high low pressure so system, actually, it has low right. velocity. Uh, the flight time is like is pretty significant, so that's just kind of fun. That is kind of cool. It's like a, a perfect comedic pause or pregnant pause. <laughs> doof, doof. And nice delivery. Nice. Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah, that's really cool. And then eventually the, uh, the Soviets developed a underbarrel grenade launcher too after the 203. Uh, it uses a, it's caseless, so there's no casing on it, no cartridge on it. Yeah. Um, super high recoil. It uses the, the barrel as the expansion chamber uh, for, the, for the gas coming out of that caseless cartridge. And uh, have you ever watched videos? I've never shot one, unfortunately, but if you watch videos of people shooting them, they got some getting their asses handed to them. Wicked recoil, yeah. Yeah. Just I mean, get stronger just, arms. I think they hate. Maybe they design a weapon that doesn't suck. Jesus. <laughs> hate their infantry. Love, really have do. you seen cases how a Russian ammo is, is cased? 
No. It's in this big, it looks like a tuna can and it comes with a can opener and you have to like, Oh yes, I have actually it's a fucking nightmare. And it's sharp yeah. and it makes a super sharp edges. <laughs> That's just cutting themselves in the field. If it's wet, dying of infection. it slides off. You can't get in there. And we're just like, we'll put a latch on that motherfucker. It's watertight. They're like, nah, no, nah, we'll seal this sucker up. If you get yeah, it yeah. out, you have a couple of vodkas, no I, big deal. I guess they probably last forever if you bury them, but I don't know. <laughs> I imagine ours do too. I don't know. But it's a pain in the ass. I think the Russians hate their infantry because they just I think give so them, too. Just in general, Russians don't seem to like anything. No. Anyway, so that's the history of the 40 millimeter grenade project. Yeah, really so cool. started with that. Uh, those studies of grenades in World War II led to Project Niblick, and then it kind of hooked up with Project Salvo and the SPEW program. And um, a lot of feedback I mean, the- feedback from the field about the quality of the weapon that was matched quickly and eventually led to the M79. I said, yo, that's not good enough. We're, we're losing a rifle. And so that led to the M203 very quickly. Is there that. any like future innovation? I mean, now we've got the um, like the M32, which the is M3, the coolest M320, thing ever. Yeah, yeah that's and then, a, uh, the new M320 is basically it's under barrel, but it can be detached and used as, as a standalone weapon, too. Um, and then they have all this sort of weird innovations on mark 19 thing boom, 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 boom. yeah the machine gun versions actually so the they wanted to develop a machine gun version for the uh 40 millimeter grenade but the because it has low recoil and the rounds are extremely large the feeding mechanism is fairly complicated to figure out yeah um so they were like fuck this we're not going to have this recoil operated because generally in a, on a general in a machine gun right uh, the bar- the gun moving forward moves the mechanism back, which then ejects the old cartridge and brings a new round in. But because of the low recoil and the size of these things, it was it was difficult to fine tune that system with a 40 yeah. millimeter machine gun. So like we're not even going to try. So they actually made the very last hand cranked uh, machine gun oh, that fired awesome. 40 millimeter grenade. So as you cranked it, it it would fire the it would cock the cock the mechanism, fire the firing pin forward, and then you keep as you went through that. Turn as you turn the crank on it, it would eject the cartridge and put a new cartridge in there and, and recock the firing pin. So, the, like an actual the last, gun. yeah, like an actual hand cranked machine gun. The last one was used in Vietnam, and then they figured out the feed the feeding mechanism for those big old grenades, and that led to the Mark 19 and all those kind of things. So, and then they got for the rounds, they got brand new ones that are laser guided or um, oh, that's right, yeah, like proximity they, uh, fuses. Proximity, yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and you can do like. Different types of explosions, right? I mean, they've got yeah. different sort of modes to, you know, uh, if you're trying to pop open buildings versus people. Yep. And then so different types working of on those. Like there's flares. The best of my knowledge, those haven't been fielded yet, but. Ground marker. I'm guessing that's like dye or something. Smoke, I would think. Yeah, it is smoke. Yeah, never mind. I'm an idiot. I just didn't keep reading. Infrared illumination, less lethal sponge grenade that that always sounds nice until you realize that you know it's a sponge that weighs like three yeah. pounds and it's we hitting you at a bunch of those in iraq and it was like it was like that scene in uh lord of the rings where frodo tries <laughs> to give the ring to uh gandalf <laughs> do not tempt me <laughs> we, just we just need to blow these up let's not just like even the, shoot uh, one yeah uh, you know you suddenly you're People would start listening to you if you knew you could shoot a sponge around up their ass. Just like we talked about in uh, with the mortars thing, the point of shooting a grenade down at somebody is either to destroy armor or because they're hiding behind cover. So that's the other advantage of the M203 because of that 
lofting trajectory, you can fire over uh, cover and into like uh, dead spots that you can't shoot into with a direct fire weapon. So it gives you like somewhat of a direct, indirect fire capability at the squad level too, which is how effective is the, I mean, like, I mean, obviously against people, it's pretty effective, but I mean, I guess what is it using like different shape charges or something? And yeah, the, I mean, the how does usual it... round that's issued is called a HEDP or high explosive dual purpose. So it has um, a shape charge in it for defeating light armored vehicles. And then a little bit of, of fragmentation uh, behind the explosives that will uh, kill people in the open. Hit someone yeah. if needed. Yep. Yep. Sweet. Yep. That was actually very interesting. Again. Cool. History. Like yeah. I like this stuff. Yeah. The ladies, the ladies. are swooning right now yep. over the history of the 40 sort of weird millimeter. <laughs> 40 millimeter jokes. Oh, yeah. We should have thought of those. God damn it. Next damn. time. We're amateurs. So we learned about grenades. We've learned about mortars. Yep. Uh, we'll maybe do some anti-aircraft coming up. We will mm. definitely be talking about continuity of government that might be the next episode because i think i got most of the episode in the can awesome. so if you're interested if you're into continuity of government um stay tuned mm -hmm. uh let's see we covered all the different diseases well hopefully you don't have coronavirus because that means you'll be a zombie soon that's actually probably yeah that's true i had the swine flu when i was in college ah. i managed i got that I think I you did. were there. I think. Yeah, I think I was. I had. I'm yeah. only. I'm in the flu. Were you bedridden? I was for like. Actually, they basically. Uh, I thought I was dying. Yeah. I, it seriously felt like someone was sitting on my chest. So I yeah. called the student clinic, which that in and of itself was a sign of how. I think I've called the doctor's office like three times in my life, and yeah. all of them, I was like on death's door, and they were like, "Nah, just stay home." Hmm. I was like, I guess I'm dying in this dorm room. Yeah, I guess I'm dead. Um, and uh, yeah, it lasted probably like three days, four days. <laughs> and uh, didn't have to go to class. So yeah. suck on that, professors. Yeah, take that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was really bad. And that's probably... So that what's really interesting about the swine flu, that was sort of like our high watermark at the time for like pandemics. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, I think it was last year's, the year's year before that flu season was actually worse than h1n1 and oh, didn't no even shit. like no one even cared because it's just uh -huh. now the seasonal flu is pretty brutal we, we know that we have better uh epidemiology we can track this stuff easier so it's kind of less scary i mean you have better data on how scary it is but now that it's scientific half of america turns off so yeah <laughs> science i don't need it no thanks no get a vaccine it'll uh you know, maybe stop you from getting sick. No, thanks. I'll just drink bleach. Yeah. Uh, I'll get my advice from meme form. Thank you very much. Jesus. So more to look forward to on future episodes. We have a Twitter account, so I should probably, uh, it's scuttlebutt pod one. Scuttlebutt pod. That's already taken. So scuttlebutt pod and the number one. And I have shared a total of two things. One was the first episode, which was a quasi episode. And then I figured out how to make these little videos with the Ooh. podcast. And it's kind of cool. Um, it's got a little waveform that moves around. Yeah. And then we do have a website, uh, sort of, which will have all of them. And then you can uh, follow or you can sign up for different episodes. And that is, uh, oh, God, it's so long. HTTPS. So it's secured. 
so you can listen privately alone in your room where you belong uh semicolon is it semicolon right that's the two dots uh, backslash colon. that's a colon god damn it all right https colon backslash backslash scuttlebutt.pinecast.co and it is it's got it all baby it's actually the most basic website ever but it's got links to how to um Sign up for everything. We're on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and you can listen to a player there. Basically, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're there. We're live, uh, and we are just blowing up. I think we've got like 50. I really can't figure out who's listening to us. Yeah. But we've got like 50 people. It says we have 24 subscribers. Who the Pretty f- who's subscribing to all this? Not me, that's for sure. I've only got two parents, and neither of them know how to use a computer. So, <laughs> so definitely not them. Definitely got not no me. grandparents. I have one grandfather left. He's 95. He's not listening to this. Aunts and uncles, eh, maybe. Yeah. I don't have any People friends. Are, really? Yeah, I don't really have any friends. I think I we talked up, about that yeah. last episode. I made up my girlfriend. She's not real. Well, that is the end of our first episode, full episode. I appreciate you listening. Follow us on Twitter at scuttlebuttpod1. That's right, Scuttlebutt Pod 1. And thank you to John Magnuson for providing our sultry jazz music in the background. This song is called Stockholm to Salerno. You should check him out. Stay tuned for future episodes, and our next episode will be on continuity of government. Very exciting stuff. Alrighty then. Bye.